Well, thank you this morning for the chance to be able to share with you. It's a privilege. And I do thank you for the opportunity. We're in the book of First Peter. And we looked at verses 1 and 2 last week. And this morning we're taking the next little part of chapter 1 of First Peter. Verses 3, 3 through 5 of the first Peter chapter 1 um, as, as Peter writes to the uh, strangers that are scattered I'm going to start by reading that first Peter chapter 1 verse 3 to 5 reads blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who is according to his abundant mercy and hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be re revealed in the last time. Uh, a suggested title for, the, for, for these three verses would be Adoring God for Our Eternal Salvation, Our Eternal Inheritance. And, and, and w w why does Peter begin his book the way he does? In verse 3, you know, after verse 1, he, he talked about the, the elect, and uh, he was writing to these scattered strangers who were aliens in the world in verse 2, and, and the Christians who were scattered in the Roman Empire have been blamed at this time for the burning of the city of Rome. Uh, which had happened just again just before this epistle was written, and, and they're 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 the tired of this tremendous persecution that uh, which begins to build up throughout the whole Roman Empire. And uh, he reminds them in in this letter that that, that it's to be expected because they are foreigners, and and and, and the earth they're they're citizens of heaven, and, and, and in fact uh, they're a royal uh, they're, they're a royalty, and uh, we are. They're, you know, they, they are the children of God. They're residents of, of an a unearthly kingdom. They're living, they're lively stones. They're a holy priesthood, he calls them, and, and they're a people of God's own possession. And as a result, the world can't tolerate them. Uh, so, so they're the object of, of, of the world's hostility, but nonetheless, they're not to fear the threats uh, of uh, of persecution, they're not to be intimidated, they're not to be troubled by the world's animosity, they're not to be afraid when they suffer, they're not to be ashamed when they're ridiculed or attacked. And, and, and again, in order to uplift their spirits, in order to try to lift their souls and sweep their hearts upward, he begins really, verse 3, with a kind of a joyous praise, if you will, really. I just read that again, verse, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, he hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed the last time. You know, it's interesting that in the, in the, in the verse 3, the verb be, for the second word there, is, it's not in the Greek. It, and that is the main verb. It's the, main, the main verb for that whole thing is that is be, but it's left out. And 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 uh, it's it's implied. 
and, and, and uh, the Greek actually would read, blessed, blessed the God, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he's saying here, here, what he's saying here is bless God. It's, it's, it's a kind of a doxology of, of his own. It's, it's an imperative for others to bless God as well. Bless God, our Father. Um, it's really intended to kind of get our, our, our hearts and minds off the, off, the, off, the, off the things that don't really matter onto the things that do matter. And, and, and there's always a, a, uh, an opportunity for every heart to praise the Lord and to show a joy of, of anticipation what, of what we're going to receive. Our inheritance, we, haven't, we have it, part of it, but we don't have all of it yet. And so Paul is calling for, for a, 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 a enthusiastic, jubilant worship, and, and uh, no matter what may, go, may be going on around them, and the joy is to come because they know their God and they know what their God has provided for them. They may be strangers in this world. They may be aliens, may be foreigners, they may be outcasts who don't belong and are not appreciated, but there is a place where they do belong and there is a world where they do fit and there is coming an inheritance that they will receive and in it will be all that God has promised them and provided for them in Christ. So Peter gives us really what's a very practical, helpful perspective on learning to live, if you will, looking past our earthly trouble into our eternal inheritance. In fact, we could even title this section really, uh, how, how to see past your trouble into your eternal inheritance. And that's really what's on Peter's heart. And in one word, and that one word, uh, inheritance of verse four, to inheritance incorruptible, uh, in verse 4, the idea is to bless God, to praise God, to adore God for the inheritance that he's promised us. And, and the key word is inheritance there, and it, that means it, it, that which is passed down to you from your, from your father. Uh, it's that which you receive as a gift. Uh, it's a legacy given to you because you're a member of... of uh, of a certain family, it's not something you really earn. It's, it's not something you buy. It's it's something received as a gift because of the family you were born into. And, and, and it, it doesn't just mean a title to, to a promised inheritance, but a, a realized inheritance. It's, it's it's a it's not just a title to something in the future, but to, it's but the possession of something in the present. You have a title for something in the future, but you also possess it now. And and and. Uh, this word has a very Jewish origin and thought. Peter says that to those scattered Christians, you should be adoring God, blessing God, praising God, extolling God, worshiping God, rejoicing in God because of your inheritance. And saying that to them would trigger in their mind the fact that the Jews in the Old Testament also had an inheritance. Known as, you know, in the Old Testament, you know, known as the, uh, uh, the, the Greek translation was the Septuagint, uh, uh, it uses the same exact word inheritance there that we have in, in our in First Peter, and 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 we know that um, it, it describes the land the land of Canaan uh, was given to every one of God's chosen people, not to Palestinians, not any other Arab, but to the Jews. All of Canaan was given to the Jews. And the Old Testament re repeatedly refers to the land of Israel, which God gave out to every tribe and every family, uh, every Jew. 
he gave to them for an inheritance. And if you, you can read it in Deuteronomy 15, verse 4, Deuteronomy 19, verse 10, and a lot of other places, you'll you find that under the old covenant of God, Israel were given an earthly inheritance. The key is earthly inheritance there. They have an earthly inheritance, a portion of the land of Canaan. Every tribe had a piece. Every family in that tribe had a piece, and every person in that family had a piece. It came down to everybody. Uh, therefore, every individual had a piece of the land of Canaan. The inheritance of an earthly nation was an earthly land. The inheritance of earthly Israel was an earthly Canaan. Uh, it was promised originally through Abraham, and, and they waited and waited and waited through, through seasons of bondage and seasons of wandering in the wilderness. And finally, they entered the promised land that had been promised them many, many years before through Abraham and the patriarchs. And so Peter, capturing that understanding of his readers who were Jewish, says, you as the people of God, a spiritual people, also have an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance. Uh, just, just as the earthly people Israel had an earthly inheritance, Canaan, you as, you as a spiritual people, the church, have a spiritual, inher a spiritual inheritance in heaven. Heaven laid up for you in heaven. Even though you're persecuted and troubled and, uh, and, and, can, and can wait patient, I mean, you, you can wait patiently. In the process of waiting, you can praise God for the inheritance he's promised to you. And he tends to do what the psalmist did. He tends to give them the songs of, of sweetness in and, and the, and, and the night of despair as they're under severe persecution. He wants to remind them of their inheritance. And they, and they need to remember, and so do we. I mean, there are times we go through trials and, and tribulation. Uh, and I, I'm sure everyone, the older you get, the more you have. Uh, we, we do all the time. And so it's essential that we focus on our inheritance. Uh, but if, if, you, if you could think of this like an analogy, in this life, we're, we're the children of God. Uh, we're all, we're all, we're all, we are always children. We never stop being children. We'll be children as long as we're here. And, and, and that's a really rich metaphor. One of the things it means is that we'll never, in this climb, come to a full understanding. We'll never come to full maturity or full adulthood. We'll always be children in this life. But as children of God, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Says, says John, but it does not yet, yet appear what we shall be. But, and we, we, when we cannot in this life fully comprehend our inheritance, it, and it's an analogous, really, for example, of a, of a, of a child prince. A uh, child prince, just a child before years of maturity and adulthood, and he's limited in his understanding, and the child prince can't really grasp what he will inherit because he's the son of the king. He doesn't understand the enormity of the, of, of the kingdom and really has no comprehension of what, of what he, he will become and what will be his. And, and so consequently, he doesn't think like a king. He, he, he doesn't act like a king. He doesn't behave like one and has, he, who has this immense inheritance. He will someday come into possession of this noble state, uh, but, but he does not live according to that nobility. He is not truly kingly, although his inheritance will be rich, although it's filled with tremendous honor. It's sweeping in its vastness. The child prince doesn't understand it. He may even throw silly temper tantrums at different times because he doesn't get some earthly bauble that he really wanted in comparison with the unlimited inheritance he'll someday receive. But the child prince is really under really strict discipline. His parents are concerned to discipline probably more that strictly than they do 
any of their servants have disciplined their own son more because they want him to get to the place where he'll be a king and he'll be under control and he'll probably deal with the immense inheritance that he's, that he's, that he's got, that'll be his and not treat it irresponsibly. So that the child prince is probably more sharply corrected and more strictly disciplined than anybody else in order to fit him into the true behavior that will suit his inheritance and his kingly estate. As the child grows up, he begins to understand little by little what the inheritance really means, and he begins to come to grips with what it's all about. You know, I've, I've looked at Prince Andrew and the different princes how they've, in England, how they've been raised, and, and, and they're, they're treated different than, than their servants. But they, I know they're disciplined. They all had to serve in the military. They've gone through it all. But they don't always act like kings, those poor guys. They act like human beings. They sin. But uh, when, you're a, when you're a child prince, I mean, we're, we're like... We're, that's, we're like a child prince. We're, we're heirs of God, though it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. We're heirs of God, though we fully don't understand what we're going to inherit. It. And the things of God, which God's prepared for those who love him uh, for the present time, are hidden from our eyes, although the Spirit reveals some of them to us. And, and like children, we often throw silly temper tantrums, maybe, that because we don't get what little bobble in the world we think we want. And we fuss and fume like a child when we don't get our way. And we put too much attention on, on the menial things because we don't understand our inheritance. And the Lord disciplines us more than he disciplines those who aren't his children. I mean, if you're a child of God, you'll get it more than the world's going to get it, for sure. Uh, and, and because he is the, in the process of fitting us for the nobility of our inheritance, that we might be mature sons able to behave in a way cons consistent with our inheritance. So Peter's given us some help here to move along in this childhood time of our existence to a fuller understanding, if you will, uh, of of, of uh, the inheritance that is already ours. I mean, so this uh, P Peter's P uh, Peter's kind of echoing Paul's call to the Colossians to set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. It echoes Jesus's instruction: seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and don't be worried about the rest of the stuff. <laughs> and, and and it's John's call: love not the world, neither things that are in the world. But calling us to a higher adoration, Peter's saying here, I want you to adore God, bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless him. And, and you know, one question comes, what is our inheritance? You know, what is it? So it, it's described for us a little bit in verse 5. I mean, it, it, it's a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's our, that's our inheritance. It's, it's a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our inheritance, he says, is the fullness of eternal salvation in its consummate form. And, and, and the fullness of eternal salvation with all that it implies in its fullness, it's a settled inheritance of the Christian. Peter says, saying, look, why don't you look away from your trouble? Now, it's kind of hard when your house is on fire. But kind of look away from your trouble and, 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 and just bless God for his eternal salvation which he's promised you. I mean, the word salvation means, it means rescue, it means deliverance. And, and here it, it kind of indicates a full, final, eternal deliverance and, and, a, and, a, and a rescue that hasn't been yet revealed. It's very clear from verse 5, it will be revealed in the last time, it says. He's saying your inheritance is, is, is that full, final salvation from the curse of the law, from the power of sin, from the presence of sin, from the decay, from every stain and iniquity, from all temptation, from all grief, all pain, all death, 
all, all punishment, all judgment, all wrath, eternal, full salvation. It's yours. It's mine. And, and there's a sense in which salvation is past. Okay, we were saved. I mean, we, when we believed in Christ, that's when we were saved. When the Holy Spirit drew us to Jesus, we were saved. And, 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 and there's a sense in which salvation is present. We're continually being cleansed from sin, First John 1, uh, 7 through 9 says. Walking into the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. We're continually being saved, rescued, delivered as we move through this world of sin, and, and keep, he keeps cleansing us. That's why Ephesians uh, 2, verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved. You, you, you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved. It's done. It's uh, and, and, and it has the idea that it has continuing results. You, 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 for by grace you are, you, you are having been saved. You're continuing to be saved by grace. It's a past with a continuing result. So salvation is also future. We, we completely forever, I mean, we're, we're completely forever, I mean, fully forever delivered from sin and judgment and, and full of sense in, in, the, in, in the future. That's our ultimate eternal inheritance. Paul said we will in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 be delivered from the wrath to come. We're waiting for his son from heaven, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. In, in, in Romans 13.11, your salvation is nearer, is nearer than when we believe. What salvation? Well, we, we thought we already had it, right? We got saved. We have salvation. And in that sense, it, it's a... It's, uh, eternal, full, final form is nearer than when you f believed. It's closer. Um, that makes sense. I mean, we're nearer to that th than we were when we believed in the past. We're nearer to that day. And, and, and Hebrews 1.14, it says of angels that their ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of, of those who will inherit salvation. I'll stop jumping around here in a little bit and get on topic. But you know, you know, it's we we have we have salvation from the past. We hold it in the present, and we're yet to inherit it in the future. And and Hebrews nine it mentions that as future inheritance. Hebrews nine twenty eight it says, Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So, so there's a future aspect of our salvation still to come, uh, still to come, and it's ready to be revealed. It, that means it hasn't been, been yet revealed, but it's ready to be revealed. And, and when will that come? Well, in verse 5 it says, in the last time. And that, that, that's a word for season or ep epoch or uh, in the last period of redemptive history. It's to say the return of Christ when Jesus comes back, he's soon. He's soon. He's coming back soon and very soon. And and uh, so Peter's saying to, to these believers, look, look to the future, look to the time when Christ returns, uh, the, the last time, the time, if you will, when you were in, in His presence. Focus on the fullness of your final salvation, that will not be revealed until the last redemptive epoch, which is the return of Christ. Peter says, bless God, bless God for the eternal inheritance and. And the world may not accept you. The world may not appreciate you. 
The world may, may be hostile and persecute you. The world may not count you as its own. The world may not grant you its rights and privileges, but you have an eternal inheritance to re be revealed in the last time, last epoch. Uh, I'm looking for a better word than that. <laughs> it's not coming up. But, uh, I'm sorry, brother? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It goes, it goes, this goes way back, you know, in the teaching of Christ in Matthew, uh, for example, when he, when he uh, in Matthew 25, he said, verse 30, the king is going to say to those on his right hand, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you uh, from the foundation of the world. There is a kingdom that's been prepared, and, and, and which we're going to inherit, and, and it's our kingdom, it's our inheritance. In Acts 26, verse 18, when Paul was recounting his salvation, he was quoting Jesus when he, when he said, he says that he, he was he sent to open their eyes so that they can be turned from darkness to light, from dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me in Christ. I mean, the words of Christ to Paul at the time of his conversion they told of an inheritance. Jesus says they're going to receive an inheritance. In Ephesians chapter 1, it's, real, so, it's a rich chapter in the Bible. I go, go there a lot for comfort. But in, but in Ephesians 1.11, it says we have obtained an inheritance. And, and verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the pledge, the earnest of our inheritance. And verse 18, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We, we have a glorious inheritance. Colossians 1.12 says that we should give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. Basically saying the same thing. Peter said we, we should thank the Father who has qualified us to share in, 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 in her, et, eternal inheritance granted to the saints. Hebrews 9.15 says we have the promise. We have this promise of eternal inheritance. And we all know that, that's, and, and that's talking about the, the, the full, final salvation. And uh, in, in, in Joshua chapter 13, just to read something from the Old Testament, Joshua 13, 33, if you reach back to the promise of God in the ancient time, I mean, I mean a, a promise that we can claim. When, when they came into the land, there in Joshua, verse 32, their territories was Moses had a portion of her inheritance in the, in the plains of Moab, beyond Jordan, of Jericho, in the east. But the tribe of Levi, it says they were the priestly tribe. Moses did not give an inheritance. No land was given to Levi. Uh, the, the Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance. Now, now, because they were what? Why was that? Because they were, they were priests. The Lord himself was their inheritance. And that, and that would literally, I mean, they would literally inherit God. And if, if we could ever, if we could come over to, to 1 Peter again, I mean, from that, with that thought, and be reminded that we're a kingdom of priests. We who know Christ as our Savior, we're a kingdom of priests, and we're a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 9 says. And, and, and we can then know that God, who is the very possession of the priest of Levi, is the possession of the royal priesthood of Christ. He's our possession as well, and, and, and we inherit God. God is our inheritance, and it's a tremendous thought if you, if, if you can just lay hold of that. In Psalm 16, I think you know, David, David captured this. He said, the Lord is, is the portion of my inheritance. Psalm 16, verse 5. 
He would inherit God before he would inherit anything else. Nothing could stand alongside the richness of that reality for David. In Psalm 73, 73 verse 23, he says, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast taken hold of my right hand. With thy counsel thou wilt guide me, and after receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And beside thee I desire nothing on earth. And then verse 26, God is the strength of my heart and my inheritance forever, my portion forever. And, and so, again, the psalmist knew that he was going to inherit God. And Jeremiah grasped that same thought in Lamentations 3.24. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. And it's a tremendous thought. Uh, when we go through, when we go to be with the Lord to inherit our, our eternal salvation at the same time, we're going to inherit God. And God comes to pitch his tent with us, as it were. God takes up residence with us. We inherit him just as much as he's inheriting us. Uh, we live in his house in one way but, but, but put it, but he lives in our house another way to put it. And also, we, 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 we also inherit Christ. We, we, we also inherit Christ. First John says that when we see him, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. It says, that if, it says we are joint heirs with Christ. Christ becomes our portion. We enter in, in, into an eternal oneness with Jesus Christ, the Lord. We literally possess him as he possesses us. We're like him in some substance in, of existence. He becomes us, we become him in a very real sense without either of us losing our identity. Thirdly, you know, as, you, as you read Ephesians 1.14, it says the Holy Spirit is the earnest. That's said earlier, the, re, the, the resident guarantee of our inheritance. He's the Erebon, which means engagement ring. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. The, and, and, and the Holy Spirit is the engagement ring, the down payment, the first installment. And he's living in us right now. Uh, is this guarantee of our eternal down, this eternal down payment. So we have already inherited the Holy Spirit of God. Very God. We will inherit the likeness of the Son, and we're going to inherit, we will inherit God Himself in our eternal inheritance. No matter what we may have or not have in this world's good, that's a small, it's a very small thing to what we're going to receive. And so we, all, we also must recognize that we're, we will leave this world naked. Came in naked, we're going to go out naked. Uh, the ladies may try to wash me up and put some clothes on me before they stick me in the ground. Uh, I'll leave it up to my wife. She's good at doing that. I hate to pick on her because she gets so mad at me after Sunday school. But, uh, but she's prepared a few thousand people for burial. She's beyond the hundreds. She's in a couple thousand. So. We, 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 all, we, we, we have to recognize that we're going to leave this world naked, and, and if we, but if we love Christ, we'll become clothed with all that God could possibly give us, far beyond our wildest imaginations. And that's why Paul said it doesn't yet appear. The things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard will be revealed to us. And, and, this, this, and that, that is cause for praise. And it's because of that, that inheritance, that salvation not yet revealed, waiting for the last time, that last season, the last epoch, when we, when we see God in Christ in glory that Peter calls for praise. He's calling for praise here, blessed. Praise, praise God. Blessed be, be the God, verse 3. 
blessed be the God who, who, who provides such an inheritance. I mean, for, 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 for a Jew, this is, the most common, this is the most common of prayers for Jewish people. Blessed art thou, O God. In fact, they said it, if, if, if they were faithful in their prayer pattern, day in and day out, day in and day out. Uh, wrestling with my chair. Uh, but as part of their prayer pattern, over and over and over, so many times, blessed art thou, O God. And, 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 and so it is fitting for us to say the same thing. But it should be noted, however, that the Jew typically define God as blessed be God the creator and redeemer from Egypt. Those who were the most common, that was the most common way for the Jew, so it is for a Jew to identify God, God who was creator and redeemer of his people from Egypt. Here God is identified as God who is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is unique, a unique identity in the new covenant. The term blessed simply means worthy of blessing, worthy of adoration, worthy of praise, worthy of worship. And because God is so worthy, we should bless him. Because of his gracious goodness, we should bless him. There's a sense in which we, uh, even when we bless him, we seem to come far short of what he deserves. We can never, ever offer enough praise to God. Um, but... Um, yeah, this... Even though our praise falls short and, and, and our love will kind of st stammer rather kind of dumb sometimes, the, word, the, verb be, the, the verb to be there, be, like I said, is implied. It's the, and it's a key, key verb for the whole verse. And it's not something Peter is doing. It's something that he is instructing others to do. And, and it's, it's a call for adoration, a call for praise. And... and, and, and I had a five-point Sunday school lesson. This would be point one I'm just now coming to. The um, first point, again, this is taken from John MacArthur's study through, uh, his, his, his study through First Peter. I use his as the major outline, and I use others. But his, his is the major commentary that I use. And, and, but uh, he, he, he offers five points. I, I love his five points. But, there, but there, there are components of this doxology that, ex that explain our inheritance in detail. And, 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 and so we want to praise in, intelligently. We, we want to adore God with our understanding. And, and the better we understand our inheritance, the better we're able to, to we'll be, and the more anxious we'll be to praise him. So Peter gives us the source of our inheritance. will be the first part of the outline. And he gives us a motive for our inheritance. Second part of the outline. And then the third is the means by which we can appropriate the inheritance. And the fourth, he gives the nature of our inheritance, what it's like. And then he gives the fifth, the security of our inheritance, lastly. And, and I, I apologize already. If the Lord lets me, we'll finish this up next week. But I uh, didn't mean to take so long on that first. But this, it's so so awesomely large uh, that, that, that what this is talking about. The, the source of our inheritance, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has begotten us again. Uh, I mean, the source of our inheritance is God. The source is God. What's God's title? God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, all, we, all, we know all that. We're not really left in the dark about that. To say that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is to give God a, a new identity, if you will, to the Jewish mind. 
because God was always known as creator, redeemer of, from Egypt. He created and he redeemed his people out of Egypt. His creation emphasizes his almighty sovereign power, his redeeming his people, his saving power, his saving work. So the Jews would bless God as creator and redeemer from Egypt, but we bless God as the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was instructed to us really by Jesus, actually. He's the one. Back in John 4, 21, Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, Samaria. And he said, woman, believe me, an hour is coming, neither in, in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem shall you, you're going to worship the Father. You worship, you, know, you, you don't even know what you're worshiping. We know, we, we know what we worship for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And I know I slaughtered that trying to quote that. I apologize. For such the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So in verse 21 there in chapter 4, he mentions worshiping the Father twice. Once in, I mean, three times. Once in 21, twice in verse 23. And what does he mean by the Father? Does he mean the Father of men? No. He means the Father not in relationship to men, but in relationship to believers, in relationship to the Trinity. It's not to believers either, to the Trinity. Very important point. Every single time Jesus addressed God in the entire gospel, he called him Father. And, and with one exception, that's when he was on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But every other time he ever addressed God in, 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 a, in a prayer, he called him Father. And it's not that God is being described here as your, as your Father and my Father but the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, during the life of Jesus, no individual Jew would, would address God as my Father. God is, is very seldom called Father in the Old Testament. Uh, and always in a, in a collective sense, the Father of a nation, or a, a, not a personal Father, ever. Not certainly an Abba, like, da like Daddy Father, as we call him. Intimacy. When Jesus uses the term Father, personally calls God my father, as he, as he often does. He, he's breaking with tradition. He's identifying God as his father. In, in John 5, 17, for example, he says, my father is working now and I myself am working. He said, I, I and the father are one. When Jesus said, when, when Philip said, show us the father, he said, you've seen me, Philip. I've been with you all this time. You know, it's me. I'm the, it's the father. And at, at this point, by calling God father, Jesus was saying, I am the same essence as God. That's what he was saying. Uh, for a like produces like. If God was his father, then he had the nature of God. In, in chapter, John chapter 10, the Jews, of course, accused him of blasphemy. In John 10, 29, Jesus said, My father has given them to me, greater is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. He then said in verse 30, I and the father are one. And the Jews took up stones, and they were going to stone Jesus. Why? For a good, why, you know, why are you going to stone me? For a good work, we, you know, what good work is it? For a good work, we stone the enough, or so, but for, for blasphemy, we, we're, you being a man, make yourself God. Why? Or how did he make himself God? By saying God was his father. And, and he was saying, I am of the same essence as God. Jews didn't say that. And, and the only way that you can ever say that God is your father is because he's planted his life within you. The Holy Spirit lives in your heart, then you are his child. But in John chapter 17, Jesus points out the fact that God was his father. Jesus says in the prayer in John, verse 1, Father, the hours come, glorify thy son, 
that, that, that thy son may glorify thee. And you're my father, I'm your son. And in verse 5, now glorify thou me to, uh, together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. In other words, bring me back to the equality that we had before I came into this world. And Jesus, again, affirming that, he, that he's God. And every time he calls God his father, he's affirming that he has the same nature as the eternal God. And that, that, that was what infuriated the Jews because he was claiming to be God and they saw that as blasphemy. And, and, uh, and, and Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, all, all things, he said, have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, knows, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son will reveal him. In other words, you're just mutually bearing the same life, one's connected to the other. Uh, Ephesians 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God says, Father Jesus Christ. So in our context here, when, he's, when it says God, the Father, it's the Father of Jesus Christ. And, and it it's, 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 uh, has to do with the Trinity. And with that, we're just going to unhook our wagon. Again, I apologize for, for um, getting way off my, uh, off, off, uh, off the trail. Thanks for letting me share with you, and, and you can tell I was off the trail because I babbled so long. Thank you.